If you have your copy of the scripture, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We're starting into Hebrews chapter 3. As a part of a series of the whole book of Hebrews, we're just taking a few weeks to work our way through it. Uh, the series is simply called Christ Overall. Uh, as overall throughout the book, uh, you will see uh, the power and the majesty that we have in Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God, who came to pay the price for all of our sins. And we're starting uh, this week in uh, Hebrews chapter 3. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't uh, read so far in the, uh, the series, if you haven't been reading along, uh, you only have a little bit of reading to do. Uh, read chapters 1 and 2 uh, and on into uh, chapter 3, and you'll start to see why this series is called uh, Christ Overall, uh, as you see uh, the power and the majesty that is uh, the Son of God and Jesus Christ. Let me just begin with a word of prayer. To heavenly God, I thank you and I praise you for the precious gift of your word and for opportunity to open it together as your church and to, to read through it as individuals and together as your family to, to study your word together, to learn from you and to allow our hearts to be changed with, with your gospel, with your Holy Spirit's working in our lives. And Lord, we pray that as we work our way through the scriptures as your church, that, that your Holy Spirit will Speak to us and challenge us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to not only know who you are, but to represent you in our communities and our relationships. Help us, Lord, to, to live lives that are surrendered to you, that are of service to you. And help us, Lord, to honor you in all we do. For you are a great God. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Now, as a church today... We have a, a constant tension between grace and, and law. And we see this even in the, the current uh, political climate and social pressures to care for the weak and the vulnerable while still trying to maintain law and order and the liberties that God has granted us. And we know of, um, we know of stories of uh, the refugee crisis, especially uh, in, in Syria, uh, and crisis so great that hundreds of thousands of uh, refugees are trying to go to uh, anywhere outside um, that area of the Middle East so that they are safe uh, from this continued persecution. Many of them have gone to Europe. Many of them have tried or have been going to the United States and, and continue to try to go to. Many have tried to come uh, to Australia. And it's something that uh, the church and the governments have been wrestling with with quite some time to, to care for those who are weak and vulnerable while still maintaining law and order and protection that, and the liberties that God has granted us with. You may remember a famous quote from former U.S. President Bill Clinton, and in fact it was actually also quoted by uh, former President Barack Obama, who said, we are a nation of immigrants but we're also a nation of laws. What he meant, uh, what both of them meant by this is we must learn to be compassionate and, and accepting, generous and gracious while still maintaining the basic laws and liberties as guided there by their, the U.S. Constitution. Well, for the church, especially in the time of, of Hebrews, this sort of tension between law and grace was very real for them, but in a different way. You see... They had always, under their Jewish tradition, had always been a people of law. The law was 
their way of being close to God. Their, the law was their way of following God. Their law, the law was a way that they knew that they were trying to keep right with God. And so the Jewish tradition was to follow every letter of the Mosaic law, the, the laws of Moses or the Ten Commandments that were given there in, in Exodus chapter 20 or Leviticus chapter 5, both tell about the Ten Commandments given to Moses. And, and the Jews wanted to make sure that however they were living their life, they made sure they followed those Ten Commandments. In fact, and, and many of you would recognize that the, uh, the Pharisees or some of the Jewish leaders at the time not only made sure people followed the Ten Commandments, but they made up other rules so that if you followed those rules, that made sure you were following the Ten Commandments. So they kind of put rules in place that safeguarded to make sure you were following the big rules, uh, the Ten Rules. And so they were, became a people of law. They became a people that said, no, no, the law says this. And it was so black and white for them. They had been a people who followed the letter of the law almost religiously. And then comes this man Jesus on the scene. And all of a sudden, they have someone who knew the law better than them, better than all the experts of the law, mostly because he wrote it himself. I mean, he, this is God in flesh. He, he wrote the Word of God. He was there when God delivered these laws to, to Moses. So he kind of knows what God was intending by these laws. And Jesus, Jesus goes these, says these radical things. And, and the, the Jewish leaders are saying, hold on, the law says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What do you say? And Jesus says, well, I say you, you love your enemies. You pray for those who persecute you. And they're going, what? Hold on. They, the Jewish leaders bring a lady who was caught in, in adultery. And, and, and they, their law says she deserves to die. And she deserves to die publicly as an example of her sin and, and where that sin would lead. And as the crowd is around, these Jewish religious leaders are there with the stones ready to stone her to death. They say, hold on, Jesus. Let's pick your brain on this a bit. Our law says she deserves to die because she's caught in a sin. What do you say? And if you know the story, you know Jesus actually didn't respond or say anything. He, he did bend down and he kind of drew in the sand or he wrote something in the sand. But then he, when he stood up, he said, well, I'll say this. Let the one of you who is without sin throw the first stone. And one by one, all those guys dropped their stones and they walked away. And he says, Jesus looks at this lady and he says, where are all your accusers? she said, there's no one. And he said, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This, you have to understand, this radically shook up the people in the early church's understanding of how they were to know God and how they are to follow God. They followed the law. The law says this, this is what you do. Then comes Jesus and all his grace. The one with supreme authority shows unimaginable grace. And the church at the other time didn't understand how to deal with this. And the writer in Hebrews 
paints this beautiful picture between uh, kind of that tension between grace and law in Hebrews. Let me read with you. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, beginning verse 1. It says this, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus had been found worthy, sorry, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was, faith, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken of God in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. This, um, this great passage begins with the word, therefore, holy brothers and sisters. And so as you know, we have to look at the word therefore and say, why is that word therefore, therefore? Uh, it's there because of the preceding chapter, really, in which we just spoke of in, um, in the majority, really, of, of chapter 2, which we talked about Jesus being fully man and walking and talking on, on earth and living as a man, but yet he is God's son and has full power and authority. And in fact, he came for the purpose, he came as a man for the purpose of bearing our sins on the cross. He was the only pure sacrifice who lived and walked and talked as a man, yet without sin, he was perfect and blameless in every way. And he... He, he died so that He could bring us, He died as that atoning sacrifice, the one to bring us at one with God. Therefore, brothers and sisters who share in this heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest. Therefore, fix your focus on Jesus. Paul says in Philippians a very similar thing, doesn't he? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having that same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. If you've learned from Christ and you've learned from what Christ has done in us, then focus on that. Try to be like Christ. You see, some of the people in the early church just wanted someone to follow. If they, they were okay when it's going, follow the letter of the law. You go, we can do that, right? That's black and white. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't kill. We can follow these things, right? Because we can see them black and white and say, I've lived that way. But all of a sudden, if, if grace comes in the picture, if this Jesus comes in the picture and shakes it up and they go, oh, I don't, I don't know how to interpret this anymore. Who do we follow? We need someone to lead us. And so the people in the early church often started following their religious leaders. And some would follow Paul. And some would follow Apollos, who apparently by historians was a great preacher and teacher of the faith. Some followed the disciples of Jesus. And Paul says repeatedly, hold on, don't, don't follow Paul and don't follow Apollos. Don't follow Peter. Follow Christ. 
He is the one that we are to imitate. He is the one who we are to try to live like. And it begins that in, in verse 1 here by saying, Brothers and sisters who share in this heavenly calling. Because the believers in Jesus are the same whether male or female, Jew or Gentile, no matter the culture or language or the status. We are called together by God to show Christ to the world. We are called together to serve together as His church to try to live like Him. And He says we recognize that Jesus is both our apostle and our high priest. He brings to us God's Word. He is God in flesh. He is our prime teacher of, of who God is and how we are to live. But we also recognize that Jesus is our high priest. He brings our sins before God. In fact, He was the ultimate sacrifice who offers Himself as for the forgiveness of our sins. So He's even greater than any priest they've ever known. He's greater than any teacher or any prophet or any teacher of the law like Moses was. He's greater than any priest because this is God Himself in flesh. And verse 2 says, Jesus was faithful to God just like Moses was. Moses was highly respected and followed because of his faithfulness to God. Moses was the one, if you remember, who received the Ten Commandments from God in the Old Testament. And his famous Mosaic laws, these, these Ten Commandments, was a guiding principle for the Jewish living at the time. And the writer here turns interest to Jesus by using one of uh, their own traditions and their own kind of most famous and respected characters. In verse 3 and 4, though, he says Jesus is not only respected by God, Jesus is not only honored by God like Moses was, he's greater. Now, we can kind of glance over a verse that says Jesus is greater than Moses because we go, yeah, of course he is. This is God's son. But in the time of the early church, when, when this was written to these Hebrew people, they're going, what? This is Moses we're talking about. The, the Ten Commandments, dude. This is Moses. And you're saying Jesus, who reinterprets that law, who says we should live a little differently than that law says, is greater? This is a huge statement for the people to say Jesus is more than just a man. Moses was amazing. He was great. And he was God's messenger to bring the law to the people. But Jesus is so much greater because he's not just a man. This is God himself. Moses was faithful as God's house. Moses was faithful as a servant to God in God's house among God's people. Jesus is God, and he built the house. He built the house, the people of God. The law is from God, and it's of great importance. But Jesus is God, and his grace is one of the attributes of God himself. He is to be our focus. He is to be the center of, of what we do. In verse 5 and 6, paints a picture like this. It says, Moses was an important leader in God's church. He represented the law and the reign of God, the power and the majesty of God. But Christ, Christ Jesus, is God's Son, God Himself, who reigns over the church and the people who have placed their faith in Him. There's some big statements in here. One is, we are His church. We are His church. I don't know if you 
learned this little, I learned this little thing in Sunday school, which makes sense in my time, because all the churches had a little steeple on them. And you go, oh, that, that building's a church. You kind of recognize them a, uh, a mile away, so to speak. Well, we learned this little thing that said, you know, here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up, and there's the people, yeah? And um, so you, you guys can all practice that at home, okay? So there's the church, and there's the steeple, open it up, and there's the people, okay? Because the church itself is meant to be so much more than just a building, isn't it? Now, when I was raised in America, that seemed like there was a church on every corner. And all those churches had big steeples on them, like big kind of things pointing up to God. Many of those on top of the steeple had a big cross that kind of said, okay, they, that place represents Christ. That building represents what Christ is meant to do. That cross represents what Christ has done. In fact... In my day, and many, many, maybe many of you have felt this way, but in my day, there were many arguments in the church over how a church building should be designed. Because they go, hold on, we have to have it steeple, or we're not a church. And there are a lot of buildings, churches building new buildings without steeples. And they say, well, what's the point? We're not a church. Unless there's a steeple that, that, that points people to God, that says, hey, these people represent God. What they do here represents God. Now, I for one probably think more that we need to look at how we're living rather than what a building looks like. Because I've known many churches, unfortunately, that building may have pointed to God, but the people didn't. And I think we kind of get this out of whack, out of perspective. In fact, I remember a church that was building a new building a number of years ago now in America. And they designed this whole great, huge building with no steeple. It was a, such an uproar in the church that we were having a building with no steeple that they finally agreed to build a steeple. And have you ever seen something that just doesn't quite fit, like to the design? This whole building was designed to not have this, and then they have a steeple in the middle of this kind of flat roof building. And to me, it looked ridiculous, but at least half the church were so happy because they had a steeple. And the other half were miserable because they had this big... Steeple in the middle of their, their beautifully designed building. We, likewise, I've been told many, many times by well-meaning Christians in the church that if there's not a cross in the church, it's not a church. If there's not a cross... In fact, I had someone tell me a few years ago that their pastor wears a cross, a little lapel pin. And if I'm ashamed, if I don't wear a little lapel pin that's a cross then maybe I'm not really a Christian because I don't wear that. Now, I honestly, I'm usually a pretty gracious person. I'm usually a pretty calm person. But sometimes I struggle not to just laugh at people because I just think, now I don't. I don't laugh in the face or anything, but I just go, this is ridiculous. The building, the steeple, isn't what's meant to represent God. The cross, yes, was, was once a symbol of death and destruction now to Christians is a symbol of the life that we have because of Christ Jesus. But it's not meant to be about the building. It's not meant to be about the steeple. It's not meant to be about the cross. It's meant to be about the people of God living out His love, living out His grace, surrendering to His authority and His majesty, and living out His grace. None of these things are meant to represent Christ. We are. We are the church. We are meant to serve Him. It is how we live and how we interact with others that's meant to be God's principal way of showing God 
showing himself to others. He chooses to use us as his church to show his law, to show his majesty and his authority, but also to show the freedom that comes from grace through Christ, to live out his love and his mercy and our sacrifice for others. Now, Baptists especially are known as the people of rules. I've mentioned once before that when I was growing up in Baptist churches, every Baptist church I knew had what they called the church covenant hanging on the wall, back behind, on just the stage right here. And it didn't matter what else they added on the stage, the church covenant had to be up there. And it was a symbol, and it was a, it was a good covenant, but it also, if you first read through it, you just go, oh, goodness, what can Baptists do? Because it was, it was like we were, we were living under the law. Now, part of it went like this. We also engaged to maintain family and personal devotions, to educate our children in the Christian faith, to seek salvation for our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in all our dealings, faithful in all our engagements, and exemplary in our deportment, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, excessive anger, to seek God's help in abstaining from all drugs, alcohol, food, drink, and practices which bring unwarranted harm to the body or jeopardize our own or another's faith. Now, it sounds beautiful, doesn't it? We're going to try in every way to live our lives in a way which is exemplary, which is above these things, and we're not going to allow these things to distract us. And so when I grew up, I, I recognized that Baptists didn't drink, they didn't take drugs, and uh, they didn't dance. They didn't want to do anything that kind of distracted anyone from the faith. Now, we kind of avoided those lines that says we're not going to eat or drink any foods that, which may cause us harm. Uh, we often ate and, and drank to excess, I think, and... Uh, I always uh, kind of laughed at that when you, there was a, like a buffet, basically, at every, uh, every church you went to. And um, I would go to a small church. My, my dad still pastor a small church. but It's usually around 30 people or so there on a Sunday morning. But they'll have food for 150. You know, there's, there's, last time we went there for what they call a homecoming meal, there were six tables of food. And it's just packed, you know, every inch of the table. And then they bring out the desserts. They break down all those tables or get rid of all that and they have six tables of desserts. And they eat and eat and eat. And so I thought, well, I think we're not quite following that part of the covenant. Uh, it says we're not going to eat or, or drink things that may be of harm or, or success. But we were known as the people of rules. You can't do this and you can't do that. And the Hebrews, the Hebrews here in this time of writing, for them the, the rules were very important. Because it was through God's laws, they felt, which brought them in good fellowship with God. And, and in fact, it is through our laws that God has brought to us such great liberties as a nation. It's through respect of our sovereign God that we are so richly blessed even today in following His ways and not ours. But there's so much more to the Christian life than just a set of rules. The structure of a house is important. If you don't structure it right, it's not going to last, is it? It's going to fall apart. But the one who builds it is so much more important because he has to know what he's doing, doesn't he? We, um, we live in a, a community today, or a society today 
who, because of television, because of all the shows, we think we're all master builders. And we think we, we can tackle anything. Because we've seen it on TV, done by amateurs. And so, piece of cake, right? So we'll just knock down this wall, and we'll, we'll brace something up, and uh, fine, and we can do it all in a couple hours. Not a problem. But one thing I want, if I'm going to walk in a, a building or walk in a house, I want to know that it's been built well. I want to know that it's safe. You don't want me building the house. You don't want me just knocking down walls. Because what does a builder say when he looks at a wall? Say, this wall behind us. What does a builder say? He goes, hold on. This wall is here for a reason. I might just go, this wall is in my way. There's an office behind there. I want that space. Let's just clear this out. A builder looks at it and goes, this wall is holding some of the weight of the building. This is a load-bearing wall. And if you just remove all of this without bracing it up properly, not only the wall is going to fall, a lot of the church building is going to fall down. Now, I might knock this out of the way, and it might clear some beautiful space, and it might look gorgeous. It might look amazing for a little while. And then the cracks start up here. And before long, we're looking for a new building. Now, the structure is important. And the structure can be a beautiful thing. But so much more important is, is who's working that, who's building it, and do they know what they're doing? It might look impressive, but when the first wind blows or the first storm comes, the building's gone. Our lives might look impressive following the rules. You might even be the, the teacher's pet. Uh, and it seems like everything you do is, is right and coming together. But the first winds of challenge that life throws our way, the cracks start to show. And we often start to fall apart. We have to put our trust in the lives of the master builder, Jesus Christ. The cornerstone of the church the builder and founder of the church who is holy and just, the only perfect one, who is with God in the very creation of all mankind, of all the world, who not only knows all and is holy and just, but is full of compassion and abounding in love. In our lives, in our policies, in our marriages, in our community, we should respect the law. And we should follow the law but we should be governed by grace, making sure that we're representing Christ in all we do. Jesus is greater than Moses. Not just, it's not just a message meant to go to the early church, but a message for us today. The law is from God, and, and liberties that He's given us, that God has blessed us with, are tremendous. The freedoms He's blessed us with are are. are, are are so gracious and amazing. But we not, must not be governed by fear or, or a false sense that we made those liberties by our own strength, that we created the freedoms that we live in and the liberties that we take for granted. We must trust our lives to the Almighty God and show mercy and grace. I want to challenge you... Um, over these next few weeks to keep on joining us for this series on, on Hebrews. 
as we start to study together just what an amazing God it is we serve, His power and His majesty, the fact that He knows what He's doing and is able to lead us as His church, and yet the grace and the mercy that He shows to us. And I pray that we as a church are challenged to trust Him because He knows His stuff, He knows what He's doing, He knows how to lead us. We're also challenged to live like Him, to err on the side not of caution but of grace. They are on the side, not of the law, but of mercy. To show Christ-like love and compassion in all that we do. To let that be one of the guiding principles of our lives. To show His love.